Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're all doing very well. If you have a Bible, please turn or scroll or click to John chapter 6. If you need a Bible, I have some brothers that are willing to pass them out to you. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep this one. So go ahead and put your name in it. Take it home. We're just giving these things away like hotcakes. All right. John chapter 6, we're continuing our series in John entitled, Come and See or Come and You Will See. Uh, And the idea comes from John chapter 1 where some of John the Baptist's followers, not the same John who wrote the book, they start following Jesus. And Jesus sees that they're following Him, walking behind Him, covered in His dust, as Boog talked about last week. And he says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they kind of ask him, well, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where are you living your life from? Where are you living out your life? And Jesus responds with, come and you'll see. Come and you will see. And what I'm submitting to you is that this life that Jesus is living, this world in which Jesus is abiding is what Jesus keeps referring to as the kingdom of God. Okay, come and you will see where I'm living out my life, where I'm abiding, how I'm seeing this world, how I'm moving in this world. The way of seeing a world that is present right here in the midst of this one, if only we had eyes to see it. A way of seeing ourselves and others as they truly are. And we talked about Jesus' encounter with the Jewish religious leader Nicodemus. You remember this at night, and he was telling him that, hey, if you want to see this kingdom, you need to be reborn. You need to be born again. And last week, Boog talked about how we see people, Uh, and Jesus was redefining what kind of people could experience this kingdom, and that the categories that we generally place people in no longer apply. We categorize people constantly, and we constantly make snap judgments about them just like Boog was talking about with this woman. But those categories no longer apply. Come, and you will see. And when we say this, there's action involved. You get this? Like like actual movement. Come, and you will see. Move, and you will see. Act, and you will see. It's not, you know, sometimes I think it's like, just put one foot in front of the other, and you will see. Take the next right step and you will see. It's not, let me explain it to you, and then you'll see. That's not what he says. Oh, let me just tell you where I'm I'm abiding. No. No. Come, and you will see. It's not, I'm giving a lecture next Thursday, and then you'll see. It's not, take this class, or read this book, or listen to this podcast, and you will see. Although all those things may be good and helpful, Jesus seems to insist that you must move. You must act, right? You got to actually talk, walk, 
think, behave, and then you will see. Practice, and you will see. See, some of us, me included, like to arrange the religious mental furniture in our heads properly. That's kind of like what we're about when we think about church and doctrine and theology. It's like, if I just get my theological furniture all arranged properly, then I'll see, right? And we order all our doctrines and end up sometimes putting God in kind of a small box because it's limited by our understanding and how we order everything in our heads. And actions ought to be based in good doctrine. I'm not trying to take away from that. But sometimes we also need to get outside of our heads and move in love. Okay? So when those two disciples first started following Jesus, I would argue that they had no idea what they were getting into. No idea the kind of revolution that Jesus was bringing about. And it wasn't going to look like anything that they thought it would. So, we're on to our next encounter, and this one begins in John chapter 6. And this is a long one. It actually, in my mind, I think this one takes up the whole chapter of John 6, but there's like 71 verses in John chapter 6, and I'd for sure lose some of you in reading that whole chapter. I'd lose probably myself along the way too, and then you'd have to wake me up to finish it. I'm joking. Ha, ha, ha. But this is a long one. We're going to focus on the first part, okay, the first 15 verses. So let's read the passage, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So John chapter 6, verse 1, sometime after this, and you'll have to go back to see what this was. It was the witnesses to Jesus. But sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay, the Sea, or the Sea of, that is the Sea of Tiberias, or the Lake Gennesaret. This, this sea had so many different names, okay? Uh, and it's really just a lake, all right? Uh, he crossed to the far shore of this sea. I've been there. It's beautiful. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs uh, he had performed by healing the sick. Now, the signs are not Jesus this way. Jesus knew, knew Jesus' church at 8 and 10. It's, these are signs of, like, healing, and you get that. Then uh, Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, Phil, where shall we buy bread for these guys to eat? Now, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Jesus. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. That's, it says in some of your translations, 200 denarii or 200 days wages. Uh, it's a lot of money for everyone to have just one bite. Now, another of his disciples, Andrew, this is Peter's, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Thanks, Andrew. Awesome. We're not going to get past Mama T with that, but let's thank you for bringing that here with this boy. Uh, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. We're not talking about 
even how many more children and women were there. Obviously, this boy with the five small barley loaves isn't counted in that. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. He gave them as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, when they all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So something happened in there, right? Because you could read that and say, everyone... He gave them as much as they wanted. Now, if they didn't want anything, then we still have the five barley loaves at least to deal with, right? And uh, they all had enough to eat, so if enough was nothing, then we still have the five barley loaves. But something happened. It, it, it says they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves. Now, these five little crusty pieces of bread, these are like big flat croutons, just not... I mean, and it's not good bread. It's barley bread. This is like poor people's bread. It's not even wheat bread or sourdough. You know, it's, it's just not, yeah, 12 baskets. Now, when the people saw the sign that he had done, so something happened, uh, all these people ate and were filled, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is, come, who is to come into the world. Now, that's kind of vague. There had been a lot of prophets, but this is the prophet. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, there's our story for this morning. It's a great story. Uh, and I want to talk about where we're going. Uh, I want to talk about some of the things we learn about Jesus in this passage. Then I want to talk about what we can see from following Jesus to this encounter. And then I'm going to close with how we might move differently in our world having experienced this encounter. So let's, let's dive into the text a little bit, not literally, it's a metaphor. Uh, there, this is the only miracle in, that occurs, that Jesus does, that occurs in all four Gospels. You guys, you guys realize that? This is the only one, apart from maybe rising from the dead, but that Jesus performs this miracle. It's the only one that occurs in all four of the Gospels. So... And you got to remember, John is writing his gospel much later in life, so he's had a lot of time to think about what he wants to include, how he wants to craft it and sculpt it, and the little metaphors and little things that he's going to use throughout. He's got a ton of time to think about it, and he says, we got to keep this story in here. You know, those three guys did it, I guess i got to do it too, but only this one miracle. <laughs> it's interesting, right? And remember, uh, the little details that are in this story are not found in the others. We don't hear about, you know, Philip and Andrew and, you know, they don't get the, men, the honorable mention in the other stories. And so, it's, it's really interesting how Jesus focuses in or John focuses on some, some interesting details here. And one of the things is that he says the Jewish Passover festival was near. And if you've ever heard me talk about Passover, I always say it's like the Super Bowl of Jewish holidays. I should probably say it's more like the Christmas of Jewish holidays, the Olympics of Jewish holidays. Everybody's in. Let's talk about it. Let's, we're participating. Uh, the celebration of God delivering His people 
out of Egypt through the prophet Moses. You remember this? If you haven't seen it, go see the prince of Egypt and you'll get most of the exodus and what's happening uh, Disney style. Um, but he's guiding them through the wilderness, and as he's guiding them through the wilderness, he's providing bread from heaven. They call it manna, okay, along the way. And John, he's not like trying to be cryptic. He wants you to see this connection. Like, hey, it's Passover time. Okay, this is, this is a big deal, right? This is a huge thing that you need to see. There is a new exodus happening, okay? There is a new, the Word has become flesh, and He's meeting the people of God in the wilderness, and He's guiding them, right? Jesus, in other passages, it says He looked at them, they were like sheep without a shepherd, okay? So here we have again a new exodus, and John wants you to make the connection, It's coming to the Word of God, coming to the people in the wilderness to guide them. This is the new bread come down from heaven. The bread of heaven is coming down again, and it will be broken for the life of the people. The bread of heaven will come down and be broken for the life of the people. And in this passage, a little later, Jesus is going to say things like, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. It's not going to come. See, here's the thing. Jesus is in this wilderness. He's breaking bread, blessing it for the life of the people, right, during Passover. That's what happened. Moses came in. He led the people through the wilderness. The bread came down from heaven, was broken, and for the life of the people. And now here it is happening all over again. John wants you to see this. There is a new king, okay? And the thing is, is it's not going to look the way you guys thought. That's the hard part for the Jews, right? It's not going to come with Jesus being crowned king, amassing an army, and overthrowing the reigning regime. That's not how it's going to happen. That's what they're expecting. They want a war, a war hero, right? This is what we need to overthrow the reigning regime. Now, they're out there, and we have a count of 5,000 men. doesn't include women and children. And I think this is amazing. People are like hanging on every word that Jesus is saying right? Now, technically, the king of the Jews in this time is Herod, but Herod's not there as far as we know. He's probably in his palace, and it doesn't seem like the people are hanging on his every word, okay? And I suppose it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do I hang on his words? Am I going out to hear what he might have to say to me? And I'm, this is a, medical, a, meta, a metaphorical going out, right? We're not crossing the harbor to get to where Jesus is over there. This is a metaphorical going out. Am I going out of my way to hear from God? Am I going out of my way to hear from Jesus? We might argue that there was a lot less going on back in the day of Jesus, Right? Uh, it's not like, well, we were going to go, but we had like this doubles tennis that we were doing, right? We couldn't, we just missed it, you know? We, we, were, we, we went and saw the Jason Bourne movie, you know? We were going to go, but the waves were pretty good, so we went and caught a few. And uh, yeah, we were going, but Target was having this amazing sale again. And 
It's like we have so much to do and so many ways that we must be entertained lest we get bored, right? Imagine how bored everyone must have been in Jesus' day. Man, they were bored. I wonder if they had that word. It's an interesting thought. But along comes Jesus. He starts healing people. He's healing sick people. Now, that's something to see. Someone must have tweeted it. The village went out. See what all the fuss is about. People gave up whatever it was they were or were not doing to go out of their way to hear from him. They were hanging on his words. What was he going to do next? They moved. They took the next step, put one foot in front of the other. They acted. They went out. They came and they saw. Sometimes you have to go out of your way. And when I say go out of your way, I'm not saying like, you know, I have to just really make everything different. I mean, get out of your way, your rhythm, your way of seeing the world, your way of moving in the world, your way of thinking this is how I move through life. You have to get out of your own way to go and hear from God. And here's the thing. This is the question. Is it possible that we're missing out on the feeding of the 5,000 because we are so entrenched in entertainment, consuming, and luxury? See, last time I preached on this message, I focused on the question that Jesus asks in Mark 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 38, where he asked the question, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? You remember this? Talked about this. And what happens? They find Simon Peter finds this boy, or sorry, Andrew, finds this boy who has five barley loaves and two small fish. This is not five huge sourdough loaves and two 35-pound yellowtail. This is five crusty, junky pieces of bread and two tiny fish. This is a poor boy's meal. And what happens when you go out of your way into the kingdom way Because wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is, and you have to leave where you are, and we're talking metaphorically, and go to where He is to experience it. That means seeing the world the way He sees it, moving in the world the way He moves through it, thinking the way He thinks, talking the way He talks. And when you're in the kingdom of God, what I was saying was there's enough for everyone and there's some left over, quite a bit actually. There's enough for everyone with an abundance left over. You remember that? So what do we learn about Jesus in this? That's what, that was the one thing I want to talk about. Three things I want to point out, though there's probably a hundred more. First of all, J- John seems to insist that we see Jesus as the king, right? And I talked about this. Herod is technically king of the Jews, but the people aren't hanging on his words. They're hanging on Jesus' words. In fact, in verse 15 that we read, it says Jesus has to slip away so they don't force him to become king. That's not the way of Jesus. And that's so hard for Americans to hear. It's hard for me to hear. I mean, just look at like the medal count in the Olympics right now. We are crushing it. It's what we do. We crush We have like twice as many gold medals as the next person. 
There's like a hundred and something medals. It's awesome. Like, I saw some breakdown, like the EU is trying to be like its own entity. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, the EU has like 300 medals. I'm like, yeah, you guys are individual countries, okay? You have to like, you have to be a continent to take us down, right? <laughs> it's hard for Americans to hear that it's not the way of power and crushing, okay? That's not the way of Jesus. We want to put him on the throne. We want to amass an army. We want to raise funds. And we want to try to take the world by force. That's, that's, that's the narrative. You're hearing it. You hear it all the time. We need to crush the enemy and take, this pl- take back what is rightfully ours. The stories in the Scripture are rarely about a guy who inherited a bunch of money, built a multinational conglomerate, you know, and amassed all these kinds of power and wealth and took over. Most of the stories in the Scripture are about an underdog. They're written by the underdog, usually about an underdog, about God using the least likely character to do something incredible, right? A shepherd who would take down a giant, right, and then would become king, a shepherd, Right? A barren couple who would produce a nation as numerous as the sands on the beach. Those are the stories in there. And now a poor boy with five crusty pieces of bread and two tiny fish who is going to feed thousands. The way of Jesus seems to be a downward journey. Henry Nouwen, who's no longer uh, with us, but what I think is one of the greater writers of, of devotional literature, He writes in his book, In the Name of Jesus, he says this, It is not a leadership of power and control, but a leadership of powerlessness and humility in which the suffering servant of God, Jesus Christ, is made manifest. Now, second, what we learn that Jesus is the prophet like Moses who will lead people out of captivity. This is the prophet who has come into the world. That's what they say. He hears people, this is like the news spreading around. It's trending, you know. This is the prophet that has come into the world. And this is all the way back to Deuteronomy. This is, this is back to the Torah, like way back into the Scripture, all the way to now. Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. The Lord your God, this is Moses, will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. <laughs> That's what's happening right now in Jesus. This is the new exodus, and Jesus is the new bread from heaven. And here he is in the Passover season, doing a miracle with bread, breaking it, blessing it, and giving it for the life of the people. And he says later in this chapter, verse, chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We heard this same thing last week. If you, if you ask me for the water that I give you, you will never thirst. I, in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And third and finally, what we learn about Jesus is whatever you bring to him will be sufficient 
for him to work with. Whatever it is you have, we learn that Jesus can do great things, but we have to bring it to him. He can feed thousands with a few crusty pieces of bread and small fish. Okay, so I, now I want to talk about what we can see from this encounter following Jesus to this place. There's a lot to see in this story, but what I love is that no matter what we give, like I just said, God can bless it and use it for His glory, okay? Because I know some of you, if you're like me, you walk in and you're like, I don't know if I have much to offer. I don't know if I have much to give. Some of you may be very wealthy and you think, well, I have a ton to give, but I don't know if I want to give it. You know, the, one of the, who, you know who the most popular giver in the, the New Testament is? She's nameless. One, it's a woman. Two, she's nameless. But three, wherever the gospel is preached, it will be preached that this woman put in everything that she had, two halves of a penny. That woman gave more than everyone because she gave out of everything that she had while the rest of, are giving out of their abundance. We don't, I don't know what you have to give. It's an illusion that you think it belongs to you anyway, but here's the thing. You can give it, and I don't get to tell you what that looks like. <laughs> I don't get to tell you what that looks like. I don't get to define that for you as much as I want to or as much as any pastor or anyone else wants to tell you this is what it looks like. You get to decide that. That is your decision, what it looks like for you to hand over, to lay it all out. It may be a little, it may be a lot. It may just be what you have to offer right in here. But God seems to insist. See, the thing is, is we live in a world where everyone is really impressive. Like, you guys are all really good looking. You look good, you dress nice. You live, you're somewhere close to Dana Point. You're doing better than 99.9% of the world because you're just here. You're very impressive, and yet God seems to insist, well, I'm going to use this little kid over here with his poor sack lunch. He seems to insist that it's in the poor that I can get some real work done. Or she. I'm not gender specific when it comes to God. God is. He doesn't find the richest man in the crowd. Jesus doesn't search. Hey, where's the guy with the Hawaiian sweet rolls and the ahi? You know? Where's that guy? <laughs> I mean, let's do this right. You know? <laughs> like, let's multiply some of that stuff. They ate as much as they wanted when everyone had enough. Most of us don't live that way. I don't. I want to. But Jesus says things like this, unless you're born again, you can't see what I'm doing here. So you need to be reborn. And being reborn sometimes means shedding, shedding and letting go of some of our patriotism, what it means to be American, to be children of the most powerful empire ever. Okay? You need to be reborn. 
And I love that it's a boy that comes, right? Because it's Matthew 18.3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom. This kid gets it. I give what I have to Jesus. The kid gets it. I give my poor lunch to Jesus. I give away in order to receive all that I want, enough. Do you give what you have to Jesus? Answer that question in your head and then ask yourself, what do I see? Do I see the kingdom? Finally, let's close with how we might move differently in our world. Now that we've been out sitting on the grass, we've eaten our fill, we've seen some abundance picked up. There's so much here, but I want to leave you with two thoughts how you might move differently. One, I say move because you, first, you've got to act. You cannot think your way into this kingdom. You have got to move. You have got to put one foot in front of the other. You have got to practice. You have got to do things differently. You have got to change. You've got to be reborn. You've got to move, act, serve, give, love. Practice. And two, you are a part of a bigger picture. This is so anti-American, I'm, it's, I'm hesitant to state it. You are a part of a bigger picture. It is not all about you. It's all about y'all. You are a part of a bigger picture. The whole universe is ordered this way. The entire universe. Your body is ordered this way. I've said it before. Atoms, particles. Particles love to get together and make an atom. Atoms love to get together and make molecules. Molecules love to get together and make cells. Cells love to get together and make systems. Right? You are a part. Humans, you know, you always hear, I just want to be part of something bigger. Yeah. So does everything. Ever. (laughs) Of course. Of course. You were designed that way. You can't do that if you're only looking inward, right? I would argue this is a huge problem in our country. What's our country doing? There is no national purpose. We're not moving in any direction as a country except to build more wealth, gain more power. What more can we do for us And everybody's turning in on themselves, and it's, it's just decaying. You have got a greater purpose, right? And Jesus would say, like, this is my body broken for you. And then Paul would go, go on to say, you are members of one body. And there is, there is one head of this body, Christ. Christ. But you are members of one body. This boy gets out, acts, moves, 
and realizes I'm a part of something bigger. I'm going to bring what I have, pour it into the pot, and there's going to be enough, and I'm going to get all that I want. Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. What are you bringing? Whatever it is, if you give it to Christ, He will do something with it. She will do something with it. God will do something with it. You follow me? Whatever you bring, God will bless it, break it, and multiply it. In the kingdom of God, everyone has enough and there's some left over. It's your move. Let's pray. God, we confess that we, we categorize, we limit, we box in, even you. We label And in doing all of that, we, we miss how great, how big, how vast, how beyond you are. And Lord, we confess that uh, we miss out on so much because we do that. We confess that we're often so distracted by our own needs in our own desires for entertainment and consumption and luxury that we miss that you're ready to do something amazing with the little that we have to bring. Lord, may we be inspired. May we be inspired to bring our five crusty pieces of bread and two little fish or our Hawaiian sweet rolls and ahi, whatever it is you have blessed us with, may we bring it all to you so that everyone may have enough and that we might have all that we want and that there might even be some left over because you don't waste anything. Nothing is wasted. Thank you for this encounter, Jesus. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of your kingdom, of your way of moving in the world. Give us the strength to put our foot in front of the other, to take a step, to move, to act, to practice, to give, to serve, whatever it may look like. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.